0: Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's episode is with Nadia Losca. Nadia, together with her partner, Nicholas Hulley, is the executive creative director of AMV BBDO in London. And Nadia has created and creative directed some of the most incredible culture shaping work that's been done in the last decade. Uh, it's won con grand prix, titaniums, uh, d black pencils, et cetera, et cetera. She's got work in the permanent collection at the British Museum, the design museum, just an unbelievable creative career already and she's just getting going. Nadia and Nick have been the creative directors on the incredible Essity campaign, that's E-S-S-I-T-Y. I encourage you to, to look up hashtag blood normal, hashtag womb stories, and check out some of this work as you're listening to our conversation. We go into her background, um, growing up in a family of artists and how that's impacted her love of the craft of advertising. And also her approach to team building, which I think is so insightful for someone, especially for someone so young. So I hope you'll enjoy the conversation I had with my old friend, Nadia, as much as I did. Well, hi, Nadia, and um, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. So nice to see you and chat to you. It's awesome. It's been a while.
0: I know. It's been too long, too long. And I was trying to think of how long we have known each other, and I think it goes back to you, starting at AMV 10 years ago, right? At the very yep. beginning of your, your tenure at AMV.
1: Yeah, we had, Nick and I had a little, a little trip to San Fran where we met you.
0: Yeah. Well, these, um, these conversations, you know, um, kind of were born out of basically a, a, a need that I saw in our office, because in our office, it's, as you you know, well, Matt and myself as kind of leaders in the office. And, um, I was at one of uh, these female leadership events called the Makers event. And they talk a lot about how young women need to see women in leadership positions. And so, you know, looking in the mirror, I knew they weren't seeing what they needed to see. And so I said, but look around our network, there's all these incredible female leaders running offices, running giant global accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And why don't we just kind of um, bring them in via video conference and and have a, a chat? and And that will be a way to um, inspire people and also to kind of get that collective knowledge of all that great leadership advice into one place. And so it it started really as just a, you know, kind of a, a, a series of little little chats and it's grown now and we've gotten really lovely feedback from people around the BBO network and it's been listened to in 48 countries or something like that, okay. which is shocking to me. But um, I'm really grateful to you as, as, not just a great leader in our network, someone who's created some of my favorite work of the last 10 years, but also a rising star because you're, you're obviously so young and you have so much ahead of you. So I'm excited to talk to you.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: Well, let's start at the beginning. Tell, tell me, I think it's helpful for people to kind of hear, you know, a lot of times with they look at someone with a big, a big title and they're at the top of the agency and um, you know, they forget that everyone starts in, in uh, the same place or different humble places, at least. And so I wonder if you could just share kind of the beginning of advertising for you as a career, how you found it, was it something you always wanted to do since you were young or did you find it in school, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think that probably, well, I'll start probably in the beginning. My, both my parents are artists. My dad's a sculptor and my mom's a textile artist. And um, so, I was probably never going to be an accountant. But um, so, I think <laughs> <genetics> my- my genetics <laughs> weren't
0: there for accounting,
1: huh? Not so much with the maths. <laughs> um, and I think my dad had, he was very interested in design, obviously, with and, and form and shape. And he had a lot of graphics design annuals and advertising annuals um, and and those kind of magazines. And I would look at them, and it was probably a very subconscious look at, looking very much back onto that, thinking that I used to love all the the, the headlines. I remember it was the Chick Fil A headlines and um, all the amazing visuals and all the amazing even um, industrial design and and product design and stuff like that. And I just loved that commercial side of things and the polish of it and just the the eye candy and the, the, the conceptual smarts. And, and that, that really, uh, I took a shine to that and I was really interested in graphic design and I wanted to go and study graphic design and the course there luckily in South Africa, there are quite a few fantastic courses in graphic design and, and advertising and, and, I went to study at a place called Red and Yellow, which was started by Brian Soil Tripp, um, who was, they basically started Ogilvy, a branch of Ogilvy in, in South Africa. And when they retired, they started an advertising college. And the course that I went to eventually do was, was design and art direction. So it was probably fluke that i landed up being being an art director but Brian Saltrip is was the complete embodiment of the real the real deal full-on 80s ad man absolutely adored art direction and design was loud and brash and you know just lived lived advertising and um it, he was an incredible inspiration and that's and then i went back to Johannesburg from Cape Town and then got a job at TBWA
0: great great start and it's really interesting to hear you talk about your parents and their art and the fact that they were so into craft because it's one of the things that i've always noticed in your work is the attention to craft and i wonder if you see a connection there or if i'm just you know, connecting dots that don't exist.
1: No, that, I, it's absolutely where my, my love of, of art and craft comes from. It's, I mean, my, that's 100% what I was surrounded with. My, my brother's also an artist and, you know, I, that's where the, the love of it comes from. That's, uh, that's absolutely what feeds me and, and what gives my eyeball, eyeballs joy. I think that it's it's just, it, I love getting into that stuff and I love getting into that visceral uh, feeling of of craft and, and how you can make something incredibly beautiful that evokes some kind of emotion or some kind of concept. I think that's very much part of who I am. And then- um, it's, um, ama-
0: it's amazing to hear that. And, and as long as I've known you, I don't think I knew that your parents were artists. And But it all kind of comes, it, it, it all makes sense to me now because- I remember distinctly the first time I saw your, not most recent Essity campaign, but the previous one, um, which was Blood Normal, right? I wanna get the chronology right. Not Womb Stories, which is the most recent, but, but Blood Normal. And when that was released, it was what, a three and a half minute film about? Yeah. And I saw you post it and I watched it on my computer. I was at home and it just blew me away. Like the, I mean, I was completely immersed in this visual experience that was more beautiful than, than most films. I mean, it was just so so um, multidimensional. And I immediately, I, I ha- happened to have a couple of friends over, um, one of whom is the parent of two girls, and then my wife, who has, um, who has, what is it, six sisters. And so I showed it to both of them, and they both said, you've got to send that to me. I'm sending it to my sisters. I'm sending it to my daughters. And it was like, it was a very sort of live experience of what it means to go viral. And so the, the craft, but the craft part of that, I think, had to, had to play a big role because it was just so overwhelming. So before, I want to talk about the strategy and all that work because it's, it's such a rich conversation. But I wonder if um, you could just comment on just the experience of watching something go viral like that. Where it spreads around the world.
1: <laughs> um, gosh, I I think, you know, I w- when we came up with this, we knew, they, Nick and I knew that one of the things that would drive people crazy would be to actually show blood and to have that visceral experience, and to and, and therefore to be able to completely normalize it because you know you can show blood in any manner of ways and no one ever freaks out and it just felt like a moment of a moment in time that the client was ready to do it and we knew hopefully if we were able to push it through that it would hopefully explode and i think that the film itself um that daniel wolf helped us make i think you know, and, and all the partners that, that we got involved in making it and the collaboration of making it was so special because it's all about the craft and all about when, at which point is is it too much, at which point is it too little? How can you bring some softness into it? How can you feel and make it part of that culture? So I think that the craft of the emotion and the craft of, um, all the all the work that went into it and all the people that worked on it felt like it was quite a a delicate thing but at the same time you were pushing something quite visceral mm. yeah so it was i mean it's it's the debate is is always the amazing thing to watch online is people right. going what are you showing me <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the amazing thing is, is, that's the point, because if people are freaking out, you can actually finally have the debate and that self-regulation mm-hmm. that happens online is so exciting and, and to be able, it's, it's a privilege to be able to, to be in a position to make work like that and, and, and make a change in culture um, and to normalize something that wasn't normal, normal in advertising before.
0: Yeah, it certainly wasn't. I mean, after what is it, fifty or however many years they've been advertising, you know, the blue liquid that pours out of a a, a scientific vial or something like that, you you really uh blew up the category. <laughs> I I before we get but I, I do want to talk even more about that work because it's so game changing. But I also want to set the the kind of the platform for your background a little bit. And as as your career has developed, I wonder if you've developed a view as you've hired more people and created teams now and built teams. What do you think are the, the critical traits that someone needs to be successful in our industry?
1: I think it would be first and foremost is resilience. I, I kind of think that without resilience, you and with, I think someone has to be able to push on every single door until they find one that's open because it's the, in the craft, the writing is rewriting, art direction is re art directing and, and the client's not always going to buy your first piece of work. The creative director's not going to buy your first piece of work. So I think that that resilience to constantly keep going and constantly get over the emotion that you felt before of, this is the one. This is the piece. This is the idea that's gonna be brilliant. You gotta let go of that and go again. And I think that that resilience is is probably my number one thing that you need in the business to 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 strive. Um, mm. Mm. The second thing for me is, can I swear by the trait of being curious and curiosity? I think that it's trying to just advertising is always either a little bit ahead or just behind culture. And you want to be able to really understand where you're at and understand what you can push and where you can push and where you can create. And also to, to, it's a wonderful way to live to kind of be curious about problems and, and ask questions and come in a brief or come at a business problem and, and, try and understand what other people have been doing or or how the world is working so that you can, that you can change it. I think that that's uh, being curious about how, why a photo makes you feel the way that it does and trying to understand that thought process. I just love Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. collaboration. Mm -hmm. I think, just I think that probably resilience and curi- curiosity leads you all the way to collaboration, because if you want those two things, you want to surround yourself with the best and you want to learn from the best. And I think that that's, um, that's a a great one to always keep in mind. It's how Nick and I have always made our best work is with lots of brains, not just the two of us. Um, mm. So I think mm. that that's, that's a a massive one for us as, um, a trait. And then I think the last one, and maybe it's the obvious one, but is kindness. I think it's, we're in a human business and, um, there's value to it and people want to work with you if you're kind and you care and you want to work with people that are kind and that care. So I think that that's, it might be the obvious one, but I think it's, it's again, one of the most important ones.
0: That's, a, that's an incredible list. And um, one of the things that that stands out to me because it's the way I first met you was you and Nick as a team, and your collaboration seemed so natural and so fluid that you kind of, you, you know, in the classic sense, you finish each other's sentences. You're like Lennon and McCartney or something where it's like the, the, the pair of you are are so dynamic and powerful one of the things I would love to hear you talk about is just because as a creative leader, there's um, a line that you have to walk between having your own passion for an idea and teaching the teams that, that work with you to have passion for an idea, but also being malleable enough to navigate feedback and strategy changes and things like that. And is that something that you just have always, you know, sort of done naturally without having to think too much about it? Or is it something that you had to work at?
1: No, oh, I think that is one thing that every junior creative learns. And I think we're still, you're still learning. We're all still doing that. You, like, that, that thing of pushing way too hard and then you realize that it's broken. And I think that's the tightrope that you're constantly walking of, of when are you leaning so far forward that you're actually leaning backwards? <laughs> and and the, when are you leaning so hard that it actually breaks? And I think it's being, I think it's experience and I think it's watching other people do the Swingali tricks that they that they do of um, what is seemingly magic, but actually it's just knowing when to stop before it breaks. And I think part of that is being able to read the situation and know the history. EQ is a pretty big one in trying to, really properly properly listen to to what it I I don't think it's always clients I think it's it's it happens in so many different situations but I think whatever really listening to that person and trying to understand what they're also saying underneath what they're saying um so I and then I also think it's it's trying to jump sideways it's um that it's not, sometimes it's not all lost, that there is another idea and, and, but it's, I think the most difficult thing as a junior creative is getting over your precious idea and, and moving on from it and, and knowing that you can come up with one that's just as good, if not normally better. Um, so I think that's totally, totally something that you learn.
0: You learn. Yeah, that is so true. And so well said, because I think, in in my experience, the creative teams or creative people who I see who, who struggle the most are the ones who don't feel like they can go back and come up with another idea. It's like that one is so precious and it's the best one I'll ever come up with. But once you get used to the idea that you can come up with another one that's just as good or better and um, are confident in that ability, it, it becomes, it becomes the most powerful negotiating tool you have because you can always go, well, if this isn't the right idea, then, you know,
1: yeah we'll take something a from day it. and we'll go
0: back and come up with another
1: exactly and I think it's it's we're not i I think it's that thing is no one's pretending that it's easy, and I think that it's it's you might take part of that idea part of what someone said, part of what someone might think is the solution and go back and I think that it is also part of resilience and mm-hmm. resilience is a learned trait i think yes naturally you you have to be able to to have the strength to, to continue and to continue doing it. But I do think that it's a learned thing that you actually have eventually the confidence to know that you will come up with another idea and, and there are also people that can help you do that.
0: Right, right. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned sort of the Spengali the tricks that you, you watch people as you're coming up in your career. You know perform voodoo and so forth i wonder if are you were you conscious of specific things that you saw that you wanted to steal like hey that's a good trick i want to take that i i always likened um especially when i was a creative director i always likened going to big creative meetings you know in the network and stuff as like going to a great pickup basketball game where you could always steal a move from somebody and just (laughs) put it in your back pocket um (laughs) and you know leadership i think generally becomes like that where you can you can learn from just watching people who are good at it and we have so many so many great leaders around the network so i just wonder if you have any tips that you where you saw something and you said i'm going to i'm going to take that and use it
1: yeah i think that a lot of it is probably traits that people have and and i think that that's often just that through pure admiration for for what they like as humans i think to try and then work that into into your way of 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 living, and I think probably two two of the most influential people in our career when in at, in the UK, one of them um, was Dave Buchanan, who unfortunately recently, very recently, passed away. He um, he ran Guinness and. Mm. Um, he was one of our first creative directors that took us under his wing, him and his, his partner, Mike. Mm. And he was phenomenal because he, you always, you never really felt a hierarchy. You never felt that Dave was so much better than you. And I mean, of course he was, but, <laughs> uh, but he was just so kind and and so, humble and 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 fun and i think that the it, he had so much integrity and he always made teams feel secure and he you never felt that he wasn't in the trenches with you and that is is something that really really touched us when we when we first started out on on guinness which was guinness as a tough client but it's it's it is rewarding, and um, mm. that toughness and being able to have someone in the trenches with you that you're not feeling as a young team that you're all on your own, struggling yeah. was was right. huge. And then Dame Thilla Snowball, uh-huh. um, I love saying Dame Thilla Snowball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do I. So do I. She's the only Dame I know.
1: <laughs> she, yeah, I mean, she is just the most amazing woman and uh, what we learned from her is probably always having health- healthy paranoia and that steel and strength can come in the most bubbly, bright and shining package possible. She's just so kind and so wonderful yeah. and yeah. smart as a whip that it's just such a, a, a contrast uh, that we always enjoyed and, and liked.
0: So true. So true. And one of the first people I interviewed for this, for this project. Yeah. And uh, she has, as you know, so many incredible stories in case anyone hasn't listened <laughs> to that one. It's uh, it's from the, the first batch and she's just so special and so brilliant. Well, you mentioned Guinness and since you brought it up, I, I would love to talk a little bit more about Sapur. So when I look back on the last, you know, I've been at BBD over 20 years. If I made a short list of, of, all the brilliant work that's been done around our network. And obviously, you know, network of the decade, most awarded, there's so much incredible work, but I think on my short list, supporters would definitely be on there. And, um, I I just wonder if you could talk about the Genesis of that idea, because similar to what I was saying about blood normal, it just, it just was so surprising the first time I saw it and so engrossing and, um, I wonder if you could just talk about kind of where it came from and how, how what it was like to work on that project.
1: Yeah, it was our first really big Guinness project. We'd done some other Guinness work, and we kind of had our dip our toe into the Guinness water, which was very exciting. But um, we finally got a crack at the big brand brief, which was equally terrifying um, and exhilarating and the brief the brief was it was at the beginning of the made of more platform it had run for a couple of years and people didn't still didn't quite know exactly what made of made of more meant and it was to try the brief was to try and just really really hammer that home and we kept coming back to this group of of people who against um all the adversity that, that they they live around and live in just go about their daily lives and, and have a, a hobby that makes them shine. And we just couldn't think of a better group of people to use as an example of Made of More because previously it was, um, it was more individualistic. And I think that this group of people, and there's another um, – another group of miners in South Africa, the Swankers, who do, who did a similar thing. And it was probably, I think it was the first idea that we presented. So, I mean, it wasn't the first idea that we thought of, but it was the first idea that we presented. Um, so contrary to letting go of the first, <laughs> first idea, <Right>. um, <laughs> I think it was... Um, not that I don't it wasn't sold in it it it, it wasn't sold initially um but I think again and again we came back to it and eventually put it into research and 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 it worked well Mm. and so we went off and and made it and it was just a we didn't think we kind of said oh we've got this idea to to Dave and and the team and we think that they're just a really shiny, big shining example of what Made of More could be, but we're not sure if it's right because, you know, it it might just feel like it's too far removed from, from an Irish market and, and Rory Gallery who was the planner on Guinness at the time just said, it's brilliant, we need to make this. And, <laughs> and, it, it, it was an amazing process to to actually go out and make it and mm. we got to make a we didn't we thought it was really really important to also tell their story so instead of just making the the short form film we also insisted to make the the longer piece that told the, sto- the story of their lives and it kind of opened up a it, it felt, documentaries at the time, which was a very long time ago, felt like a very exciting space to, to play in. It was still brand new and it was lovely to be able to, to tell their fuller stories because they have such an incredible lives and, um, and lessons to, to teach.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of, of your natural curiosity, how did you even know about them as a group? Was it just something you'd read about over the years?
1: Yeah, I think because we are South African, I guess we knew we knew we just it was in the periphery of our of our vision. So we knew about the swankers, we knew about the the suppose. I think it was just round roundabouts and it just mm-hmm. happened to all mm-hmm. all combine in in the same place. And I think it it was interesting because it was, again, just using real people. Was at the time again just something that that you didn't really really do in in ads. So I think it was, right? It it was really great at the time to be able to break that mold and and say no, we're going to actually use them, and we're going to make a much longer form documentary about them.
0: Right. Um, it, it it was just so brilliant. And for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, please go just go straight to YouTube and watch. Guinness Sapurs, S A P E U R S, I believe you'll find it. Um, about these men who dress up, they're they're among the poorest communities, right in in Africa, and they dress up in these really swanky outfits and and kind of dance and party, and it's just an incredible piece of communication. Um, and I, I want to just focus on the craft a little bit because, especially as a creative director, I think it's really interesting for people to understand how much work goes into the craftsmanship of this. So, in that one, I mean, I've known you a long time. I know you have a a, a strong personal style of your own. Um, how much of that? How, how much of that were you able to influence, or how much of it was we just turned the cameras on and these guys did their thing?
1: I mean, I think that part of it was the. Style of how we wanted to shoot it—that we didn't want it to be addy which sounds like a, a, a weird thing to say. Now, it, I, I, our vision for it was to be part music video, part ad, part documentary, and and we landed up shooting shooting the ad with Nikolai Fulsi who had a you know he was he was a, a photojournalist in his in his youth. Um, he's still young. Um, and he, he just had, he just wanted to get straight in there. And, and I think that that, that, um, that style and, and, and the almost no polish over it is what makes it special. And, and we had a stylist that, um, brought suitcases and, and, and suitcases, but it's, it, it was, and he, he's an amazing, um, amazing guy and and he helped style them and and bring it to life in their own way you know it's taking each of their personalities and what they they normally wear and and um and adding to that so i think Mm. that it's you know it's it is absolutely it's all there and it's all them but of course there's there's extra touches to it
0: yeah well i have to tell you um small aside, I think of that work on an almost daily basis. And I'll tell you why, because as you know, I'm kind of like a a fitness junkie and I have a playlist that I, that I, I have multiple playlists for working out, but that soundtrack by The Heavy is on almost every one of my workout soundtracks. (laughs) And, And I think it's a combination of it just being an incredible driving song. And the fact that it can, in the back of my brain, it connects to these people who are so motivated to overcome, you know, what they're facing. That I think, like, okay, at, at minimum, I can I can get through this thirty minute workout.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think so it's it, such a, it is such a. That's I think what everyone saw in it that it was just such a. They've got such a great life lesson, and you can totally relate to it. That you know that it's life can be shit sometimes, but you kind of dust yourself off and take yourself to go and enjoy enjoy something else in life and enjoy it with your friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, let's keep moving, but the, there's so much, so much to talk about with you because I think you have this unique perspective as not just a leader, but a creative leader. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about moving into the, your current role as executive creative director and compared to, you know, as you're moving up through the ranks of the creative department, one of the most famous creative departments ever in the history of advertising at AMV, and, you know, how you've approached that. I know, you know, you and Nick are so thoughtful about everything. How have you approached the way you're doing this role as a leader?
1: I think that moving through through being a team and moving into CD, I think as a team, you're always trying to do everything for yourself. And, um, and then as a CD, you're trying to, help teams do it for yourself and you're trying to help, help do that, um, for, for clients. And I think as an ECD, it's trying to take all of that intensity and intention and trying to spread all of that across everything. And I think we're, we're still, you know, we're still learning how to, how to do a lot of it. And it's, it's just, sometimes trying to extract yourself from, from the total doing and being able to intervene at moments um, where you can make the most difference um, and moments where you can steer that creative product and help people grow because mm-hmm. we're, that's what we're there. We, we want people to feel like they can make the best work of their lives at our agency and and with us and we're there to facilitate that and and help that and i think that it's you know it's it's really tough and especially you know we we were plunged straight into the pandemic straight after being made ECDs and right. um, actually silla said to us it's it's like you've you've had 10 years of experience in one year. So true. And it's been tough. It's been really, really, really tough. And I think that the the we like to use the analogy of having having a blanket in winter that doesn't cover your head or your toes. So you're constantly trying to move it up and then your toes are are, are cold <laughs> and then you move it down and their head right. is cold and it's trying to find where your attention needs to go at a certain time, but I, you know, you're, you're never going to find a blanket that covers, covers it all. But it's a, um, I think it's a, just a constant learning of um, trying to sp- spread mm-hmm. across the most important things and trying to yeah. make a difference just where you can.
0: Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of um, COVID, hopefully, hopefully we'll all be on the other side of this soon, but I wonder what your view is on, on, how it'll change the creative workplace meaning you know everyone's gotten used to working through the screen on their computer and i've heard from our team that a lot of creatives actually really like it better than being in the office i always loved being in the office because i just love the energy but different people have different styles and i wonder how you think it's going to change you know the whole the whole
1: industry i think i think hopefully gives people a little bit of time back I think when we go back to to the new the new normality the new reality because I think that we're still in the midst of it where we're all trying to fight fires and and chasing our tails a little bit Mm -hmm. but I really I, I hope that because we're not commuting we're getting that time back and that you can choose when you can go into work and when you want to go into work and and try and make free up that schedule and and have more flexible working time which which is exciting I think that's always been the dream and that that 10 years in in one year it goes the same for all the good stuff as well I think that it's amazing that we were that we're able to completely be um Plunged into the Zoom calls, everyone everyone has had a crash course all together, and and it's become quite democratic, and I think that's the only way to make the the, the difference. So I think it's exciting that we'll be able to have flexible working, and um, you know when when childcare is able to 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 be back to normal, I right. hope that that's the the, the same things thing for uh, for mothers when they're trying to come back to work and to be able to to be flexible and to be able to not have to commute and and I think that's going to make a huge difference and I also hope that it makes a a difference for for men to be able to know what woman are going through on maternity leave, and um, and I think that the it will help absolutely rebalance everything. Which um, so I think there there are a lot of exciting things to look forward to going back as well.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited as well. Let's. Uh, I want to make sure we we dive into the other work of yours that I am, you know, in awe of and that's the whole Essity campaign i mean you know from where it began to to where it is today it's just it's one of the you know marquee case studies not just at the bbdo network but in in our industry and it's won every major award it's it's just you know it's just an incredible story um so i would love to before we get into kind of specifics of craft and things like that just talk about how that started and i know you know, it was not an easy journey, and you know what the the kind of fundamental insight was when you when you began that, and if if you had a vision of what would happen if we stuck with it over years, or has it has it been more of a you know choose your adventure as you go type of experience?
1: Um, I think as a with the client AMV's been partners with ST for about six years now, I think, or is it seven? Might be, might be seven. Um, and, you know, I think the journey at the beginning was just moving, moving to better work, moving to more baby steps, slowly changing, changing the game. And the, the line was live fearless and um Bridget and um Bridget the strategist and Sarah and um Toby and Jim who lead the account and and won the pitch they stuck stuck with it and stuck with with live fearless that the client bought bought into but then eventually there was a mantra of well, if it's a mantra, then you as a company have to live fearless. If you're going to ask women mm. to live fearlessly, well, then you as a company need to embody that same spirit. And mm. I think that that was the turning point uh, to be able to to make work that really broke down taboos around menstruation, which is um, which partly you could say advertising has has funded and and created. And I think that. Being brave enough, the incredible men and women that w- that work for Ecity that decided actually that they'll go after it and and that that will be their mission and they will continue to break down those taboos until they aren't aren't anymore. That's been been the mission. And um, Margot Revel, who's the strategist on on day to day, she's just an incredible. Uh, Learn. I mean, she's just a, a sponge for reading. She just wow. knows absolutely everything there is to know about um, that side of, of life, and mm-hmm. she has led that that account with incredible um, smarts and and grace. And and her thinking and her strategy has led us to all the creative highs that, that we've been on. And of course the, the clients are brave enough to go there. And I think that's mm. the big platform helps.
0: Mm. That's great. And w- one of the things that, that I always like to ask about are, are challenges and moments of crisis that people have gone through, because I think it's helpful, especially for young people to hear that, you know, a challenge is an opportunity. You know, a crisis is an opportunity to either build a relationship or solve a problem in a new way, et cetera. And um, I wonder if you could talk about one of them, I know there were many, but <laughs> one of the major creative crises that came up as you were creating that campaign.
1: So on Blood Normal, that was pro- that's probably the, the biggest creative crisis that we've ever had and the most difficult job that we've ever done because we'd shot this, this film and made this film which, which was groundbreaking in all the way, ways that it was showing blood and making blood part of culture. But of course, because you're working with decades of, of patriarchy of, of that has left women feeling disgusting about their, their bodies and has left men feeling disgusted of, of women's bodies when it comes to bleeding. Every time you're you're talking to anybody about it, or any time you're you're having to go through a process, you're having to break down that person's prejudice that's that that they've lived with all their life, and that has been that's been hit into them through through culture, and and that's what we were facing on on Blood Normal, and eventually faced with with all the, these media rejections that we were getting to the point where we had we didn't have an ad that was making a point whatsoever. We just didn't have an ad that could run anywhere. And our clients were obviously worried that they were going to lose their, their jobs Mm. because they, um, didn't, they'd spent the money. They didn't have anybody anywhere to, to run it. And, and also all of us were incredibly upset that we, that we were just cutting up this thing and throwing it away, knowing the progress that it could have made. So I think that's where we come, we come to the client saying, let's do it anyway. And us using a bit of what we've called creative judo
0: and mm-hmm. using
1: the, the most visceral um, rejection from, from, the, from the media to slap on the end of the ad, to actually show that, that they find it unacceptable to, and to point out that hip- hypocrisy. So we mm. pixelated things, we fought very, very hard, account teams fought very hard in an Aaron in Aaron Brokovich moments in putting <laughs> probably what looked like legal documents together to point out the hypocrisy on of showing a sexualized woman in absolutely no problem but obviously when it comes to a tiny little bit of period blood it, it was right. a problem so we fought on multiple counts and included that rejection and uh, and i think it gave it it even more strength
0: hmm. it's a it's an amazing story and i think it's it, it really points out the truth in what you were talking about in terms of the qualities a person has to have to be successful in this business. I mean, resilience and teamwork, if you didn't have the account team and the strategy team putting together the Aaron Brockovich documents to point out the hypocrisy, if you didn't have creatives with quite a stoic mindset that the obstacle could somehow create an opportunity for something that was just as powerful, if not even more powerful, um it, it's it's such an incredible incredible story and the work i mean for anyone listening who hasn't somehow seen this i think the whole world has seen it but it's hashtag blood normal STD. you can go to youtube and just look up case study hashtag blood normal and find a number of uh, videos and things um it's it's quite literally work that changed the world and i, I wonder just you know on, on the topic of female leadership how 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 sort of that makes you feel or how I imagine it's just insanely satisfying to look at that and say, we are creating something that people in many, many countries all over the world, it's changing their view of the way they think about their bodies and the way they think about society.
1: I mean, we're, we're incredibly proud of it and, and feel a a massive sense of of privilege to be able to do that and to be able to to watch things change and and competitors change as well that you're you're doing a, a a bigger job and and seeing the reactions and seeing the change in in people around us I think that that was also pretty special and I think that when it came to our most recent one in womb stories which is very different, but also touches topics that are have been overlooked for for so many years and have also caused incredible shame in in women. I think that the topics that we touch on them, endometriosis and and menopause and miscarriage and IVF, mm-hmm. again touch so many personal spaces and and it's so important to be able to have a voice. And to be able to have a platform where you, you can as a, as a group and a, as a team change people's minds, make people feel better, make them go through a kind of catharsis, it's incredibly special and, and fulfilling.
0: Mm. It's, it's an amazing story. And just on a strategic note for a second, how, was there ever conversation um, with the client? Because this is, I think it's a great example of owning a category, if you will, there's not, there's not. This is not a sort of focused product message about why our products are different than the category. And so, at a strategic level, was that something that um, that anyone struggled with, um, whether it's on the client side or just in general?
1: Yeah, I think that the you're doing a a you're doing a fame job. Because you don't mm-hmm. have the money to outspend the giants mm-hmm. and actually you're getting more bang for your butt being able to um, to do the right thing and and therefore live in the hearts of people rather than and and, and build that empathy in a in the most meaningful way in the, in, the, in the most in the best way that brands can be loved. And I think that strategically we still do, a um, a product-specific, we still do product-specific work, but the fame driving pieces are very much on the strategy of doing the right thing and breaking down those taboos and living fearlessly. I think that that, that is so important for them. And and yes, I think that sometimes people try and catch up, Giant the giants try and catch up. But the reality is that they've got to jump, jump through so much more bureaucracy and, um, and, and th- that SOT can lead in the, in those places. And I think that, that Margot does such a phenomenal job in, in finding spaces that feel right for the brand. And, and I don't, I don't think that any brand can do it either because they don't have the authority to speak just suddenly come along and, and, and speak on these topics that SD has been doing for the last six or seven years. So right. I think it's a slow growth process and it doesn't happen overnight, but it's, um, mm-hmm. I think one, it's a space that they now own.
0: Yeah. And it's had an amazing impact on their business. Such a, such a great story. Well, jumping back just to, to kind of, the operations of the agency. I, I know you mentioned just being in COVID times now that you're executive creative director, but what are the things that you think about doing to create a place where people really love to work? You know, Whether that's just your team or whether that's the department or the whole agency as an agency leader.
1: Yeah, I think that Nick and I try and consciously break down the hierarchy and allow people to speak their minds. And I think that it doesn't really matter how challenging a question is, or if people are shy or you know d- don't feel comfortable speaking. I think we try really, really hard to be able to, to voice it and be very intentional, intentional about voicing the fact that, that everybody has a voice and an opinion um, that matters and that we want to hear from because we're, we're, in, a, we're in a group. We're not just individual an individual being. I think that it's a, a, a grouping and, and we try really hard to be able to also give people career progression and, and personal growth. And I think that we always try and, and make sure that people are being challenged Mm-hmm. And that there's something that they mm-hmm. feel that they can they they can grow from, and and that the challenge isn't so big that they won't be able to to take a a bite bite out of it. But I think that it's it's just constantly reassessing and giving people a vision. Because as I was saying earlier, you you just want people to believe that they can make the best work of their careers.
0: Mm-hmm. In, in In a world where you know we're constantly trying to move faster because you know the client pays us for time and therefore time becomes very valuable and we're all trying to move very quickly. Are there things that you do as a leader to make sure you're creating the time and the space so that people feel that their opinion is valued, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of you know where they come from, what their background is? You know, I think that one of the challenges we have as an industry is that we just try to move faster and faster as a goal because that's what our clients ask us for. But it runs counter to the fact that you you sort of need to take a pause sometimes. Are there are there any tips or tricks that you could suggest for how to create that space?
1: I think it's really tricky because like our industry is so much about the work, um, but the work is fed by the people and and vice versa. And I think that if you forget about the people, you absolutely don't have the work. Mm. And I I think that sometimes, and when we get busy, the work takes priority. And I think it's always just making sure that we're we're stopping to think about the the personal side and, and being able to question everything. I think that that's, the most important thing is to al- allow allow that questioning and and i think that you um, everybody's so different and 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 the things that hold us back and the things that make us strive are different for every person and i think that mm-hmm. that's why a concentration on on people individually if if you can manage to spend a couple of minutes time or a text or a whatever it is to just check in and and make sure that people feel like they have the space because in lockdown or in in a more flexible workspace where you you aren't just having a serendipity moment in the office I think Mm -hmm. you have to force that space to happen and you have to Mm -hmm. be able to to actually voice that if you have a problem, please come speak to me. If you, everyone is, is, is free. Everyone it's, it's my door is open, but actually being able to voice the the fact that you can come speak to, to whoever it is that you want to speak to and that every opinion does matter.
0: Mm, Comes back to uh, what you were saying about just kindness and, and creating that environment where people feel comfortable. Well, I have one, one more question, which I, I like to ask the, the folks in the, in the office in San Francisco or on our team, I should say, not in the office right now. And this question came from one of our young account stars named Disha. And she asked, what's the biggest barrier you've had to personally overcome? And were you were you afraid or, or how did you break it? And is there a way to remove the barrier for women who are charting a similar path to your success.
1: I think I would say my biggest barrier has been self-confidence. I think that mm. it's the thing that I've struggled with the most um, that and and probably speaking I think it, it those things come come hand in hand and I'm naturally more of a shy person so you know when you're surrounded by by all these superstar leaders that feel like they um they know exactly what they're talking about and that, that that they seem so confident I think that it's just I've been so lucky in having people like Alex and Sarah and Scylla and all these people um that have helped me get to a place where I feel confident and where, again, I feel like my opinion does matter. And, and I think it's, it's difficult to see at the beginning, but you slowly, you slowly, slowly get to a point where you feel like you have something to say and, and every person does and every person um, can change the course of an idea and can 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 make it better and i think that that it's it's so important to be able to if you say one thing in a meeting because you've thought about it the whole meeting it's probably maybe going to be more important and more succinct than than someone else's thing that they've just said because they've they they speaking out loud and and you know i've been of course i've been incredibly lucky with with nick as my creative partner who is always been there for me and has always helped me um chart the course but it's surround yourself with the the people that care about you and and that can have your back and and lift you up and i mm. think just keep keep learning keep listening to podcasts like Jims. there's also a great book that i i um that allison chadwick um recommended to me which is called playing big by Tara Moore,
0: hmm.
1: which I highly recommend for people. And it's, um, it's all about trying to find your, your, your voice. And I think that's a, another little tip that I would, I would give to you to, to read and, and. Great. Next time.
0: That's, that's sage advice for sure. Um, in all the years we've known each other, I've just always found you to be so insightful and so thoughtful and so kind. And, from the very first time we met, we had this nice friendship and I, I have to say, one of the great pleasures of being in our global network is that when you meet these people, you stay in touch and thanks to social media and you know, so forth, it's very easy to feel like you can stay quite connected even though you're halfway around the world. And um, I wanna tell just quickly the funny story of, of the time I was in Joshua Tree with my family <laughs> and, I um, was at a little, a little Western uh, barbecue bar that had music called Pappy and Harriet's. Anyone who's ever been to Joshua Tree has probably been to Pappy and Harriet's, but if you haven't, it's every bit as rustic as it sounds. And you go in and there's like six foot high ceilings and it's packed with people just absolutely shoulder to shoulder. It's quite dark and there's blues music playing in the front. And when you go in, because it's, because of the place you're in, Joshua Tree, it's Everyone in there is is dressed as one of three things. They're either in Patagonia head to toe because they're there for rock climbing or something. Two, they're they're you know honest to god cowboys and they're just like you know wearing western wear with cowboy hats and things. Or they're bikers and they're wearing like black leather. And I go through the sea of people and I'm I'm in Pappy and Harriet's, and um, and you know I have a nice night with my family and everything. And then I I get home that night and I'm looking at Instagram. And I see a note from you that says, you're in California, you're in Joshua Tree, and you're in Pappy and Harriet's. And I somehow, I paused my brain and I rewound the tape of the night. And I remembered going through that crowd and there was one person who stood out who didn't look like everyone else. And it had been years since we'd seen each other. And I said, were you wearing like a, a bold sort of fur coat and sunglasses and something really flashy. And you said, yeah. And I was like, I saw you there. That was incredible. I didn't even know it. Such a small world story. (laughs) Such a small world story. And honestly, it is one of those things that uh, it's, you know, I'm sure you've had these experiences with colleagues around the world where you become friends and then you go and stay at their house and you see another part of the world that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to see because you see it through their eyes and it's a great benefit to being a part of such a tight knit
1: global team, I think. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. And it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing. Well, first off that 10 years ago when, when Nick and I went to San Francisco and we met you and, and we saw again, another part of the world, it's just amazing. And you've been such an inspiration to us as well and, and how you lead. It's, it's amazing to be able to meet all these people across the network that are, are so, so brilliant and lead such successful careers and agencies.
0: Mm, well, thank you for the kind words. And, and one of the, one of the um, great pleasures of this project that I've started is, you know, I, I really, as I said at the beginning, I started it to, to sort of share this collective knowledge with our team and I thought it might inspire young people I find it inspires me every time. And I, you know, there's, there's wonderful leaders like you who I've never had this conversation with. And I've learned so much just talking to you today. And I always end up with a page of notes, you know, and jotting down things like the fact that you said, every person can change the course of an idea and make it better is very, very wise. And, and, um, something that I think, uh, anyone who's listening to this will will take away from him. So thank you, Nadia. Thank you so much for for being a part of this this uh, project, the Women Who Run BBDO.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely chatting to you.